Welcome to Topic Discuss, where you give me a topic and then we discuss it. On tonight's episode, we have Katie Dunn back to talk to us about evolution in genetics, as well as genetic health um, and epigenetics, and maybe even how to extend life through genetic modification. Uh, we also learn a lot more about who Katie is. So I encourage you to watch this. It always helps the al algorithm to watch all the, all the way through. <clears throat> Please subscribe. Make sure that you're hitting the like bell, etc. And uh, buckle up, buttercups. It's another episode of Topic Discuss. We're talking with Katie Dunn. Um, a genetic counselor. And uh, we have some interesting questions to ask Katie on this episode. So um, back to your career in genetic counseling and your mm -hmm. education in genetic counseling, what, um, what would you say today you feel like your greatest expertise is within genetics? Good or where question. You, where you feel most, maybe two parts to that question, your expertise and where you feel the most, your most interest and passion. Yeah. So I'd say I probably have the most expertise um, from a general genetics kind of basic concepts perspective. I, I, I joke that I have a little bit of um, jack of all trades, master of none in my genetic counseling career history. I've done a little bit of a lot of things so I wouldn't say that I'm exceptionally deep in any one particular area, but I have a really broad knowledge of a lot of, of, a lot of things. Um, and because I'm interested in it, I look for updates and changes and what's new and what's happening. Um, so I'd, I'd say, you know, my, my breadth of knowledge is probably my biggest strength. What interests me the most though, is is sort of related to genetics but is really about how to make genetics applicable for everybody and how do we um and and you and i have talked about this gary but how do we scale genetics how do we make genetics a part of everyday healthcare so that it's not some obscure or mysterious or highly scientific area but that it's just part of your normal care so things like family history and you know how you metabolize drugs and what your predispositions to various diseases are that all just becomes normal it just becomes normal to know those things similarly to how we know our a1c levels and we know um you know we do a cbc every year so we we know how we're doing on the inside um i'd love for genetics to be able to get to that point that it, it's demystified a little bit. It's it's part of your routine care, your primary care, your family medicine. Um, and, and there's this synergy between all of these specialties that can treat some of the genetic diseases, um, but that people really know about it and that it, it is, again, commonplace. So it was really kind of funny. Um, I just really fell in love with the idea that I could go into a field that could give some solid answers and could really help explain somewhat um, ambiguous things. And that seemed really exciting. 
And I even went back to thinking about, and, and my mom pointed this out to me when I initially told her, she said, well, you always loved genetics. You loved Punnett squares and you came home and did all the tongue rolls and the earlobe attachments with the family when you were in sixth grade. And I hadn't even remembered that, but apparently it was just in my blood. I was bound to, so the, to do genetics. So the science is interesting to you. Um, and it, what about the the psychosocial components of genetic counseling? Was that natural to you? Or, you know, sometimes an engineer mindset might have a hard time connecting on the human side of the equation or the empathetic side. Right. Absolutely. I've always been a natural connector, personal um, extrovert. I like talking to people. I like getting to know people and meeting with them. And honestly, that's one of the things that drew me to medicine. You know, I think as a lot of kids in high school, when you think, well, I'm good at science and I like working with people. So clearly I must go into medicine. Like that's kind of, and, and physicians, it was kind of physicians or nurses. And that was kind of the two options I saw. And um, I think about it now and I think, man, when my children get hurt or when there's blood or guts or broken bones and it just makes my stomach turn, I think, whoo, it's a really good thing I didn't pursue that any longer. But genetic counseling is really that combo of being able to work with people, giving them information, meeting with them, meeting them where they are, but also having that science piece. Yeah. So another question I know from a viewer is, what is, um, is genetics different in a kid than it is in an adult or genetic disease? Great question. You know, I think genetics is genetics. Um, your genes are the genes and, and whether you're five or 40 or 55 or 95, um, your genes are, are your genes. I will say the biggest difference I've, I've encountered when I talk to people in different ages um, is that the impact of the genetic information or the genetic disease is very different depending on where you are in your stage of life. Um, and, and that's even true, even if you have three 25-year-olds in a room together, the impact of genetics will be different for the 25-year-old who's single, unattached, no concerns, versus the 25-year-old who maybe lost their mom to breast or ovarian cancer compared to the 25-year-old who is raising three children and you know is is just trying to get through the day of of having you know three kids under the age of 6 or or whatever it is genetics means something different to all of those people and i think that's that's one of the beauties of genetic counseling is that we're able to take this somewhat standard information and really tailor it to the person and the family in front of us and be able to say, you know, this is this is what we know. This is the genetic information that's available. But let's talk a little bit about how that impacts you and how is that sitting with you and what is your reaction to that information? So can you expound on why, why genetics would be different between those three 25-year-olds? You, you mentioned that there might be uh, a is there a genetic difference between those three in their family situation or what, what are, will you expound? Right. Yeah. I don't consider there to be necessarily a genetic difference. I mean, aside from the fact that everyone has differences in genetics. Um, but I think more what I come at it from is that psychosocial piece 
that you mentioned earlier, Gary, um, the impact and the response to and the coping with the genetics is very different depending on where you are and, and what your stage of life is. So can you uh, speak to uh, another question a viewer has about epigenetics and what epigenetics might be? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting, you know, an interesting concept that um, all of, of what we experience changes our, our genetic material. And when we look at each of those changes and each of those um, differences, how does that combine to either keep us well or to cause disease? Um, but I, I think it's still one of those areas where people are, they have a lot of hope and they have a lot of um, excitement about, um, but I don't know that we have a lot of strong answers yet. So one question that a viewer had um, to go back to faith and, and religion and science, you mentioned evolution, and mm -hmm. I think it'd be uh, helpful for the viewers to understand your perspective on evolution mm -hmm. from a genetics point of view and also weaving in your faith-based component. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so from a genetics component, I think there's good data that suggests there's a common ancestor among everyone. And, and I think if you Google something like mitochondrial Eve and, and you know, single, I can't remember if they, they call it Y Adam or, or something like that, but there is good data to suggest that, that we do all have a common ancestor. I think from an evolution perspective, I have zero doubts that evolution happens because if you look at everything now compared to what we know was 300, 400 years ago, it's different. Animals have adapted, we have adapted. Humans look different now than they looked 200 years ago. So I have zero doubts that evolution happens. There's good data to support a common ancestor. And I think that common ancestor probably looked very different than what we look like today. Right. And, and, and is much older than 6,000 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So as we um, as we talk about um, your your faith and your your family, um, genetic counseling. In what ways do you think genetics could help us live longer lives and and healthier? You know, sometimes when I think about living longer, I don't want to live longer if I'm right. you know on a ventilator into my. 90s, but I do want to live longer if I have a healthy trajectory. What do you think? How do you think genetics um, can help us live longer and healthier? Yeah, absolutely. And I think healthier is the big key there because I, I think most people would agree with you, Gary. Um, not interested in living longer if it means my quality of life is going to suffer. So I think the biggest way genetics really has that power is a very simple tool. And that's your family history. Knowing what is going on in your family, knowing what specifically parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, um, what they all have or had, how they passed, when they passed, knowing that information can really help guide your care and your health because it allows you to put some pieces together. 
You know, if, if Uncle Sam lived until he was 70 and exercised and ate well and didn't smoke and, you know, had skin cancer, had a melanoma because he lives in Arizona, then you can kind of start putting some pieces together and you can say, okay, overall, Uncle Sam was really healthy, but he had this one area where he could have maybe done things a little bit differently. So how can I use that information to keep myself healthier? So a really, really good example. So he, Uncle, what was his name? Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam, because it's okay. almost the 4th when this is <laughs> yes, being recorded. Yes, it's the 4th of <laughs> July. Uh, so if Uncle Sam had uh, screened and detected early um, and early intervention for melanoma, probably would have lived a healthy life into his 90s, probably. Right. right? Right. Because diet and exercise matters. Right. right. I, I have some viewers that want you, Katie, to use your genetic magic to make them live longer like right. that. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I there's a, um, a saying I heard one a workout trainer say that you can't out train a bad diet. And I think it's kind of the same, like it, there are certain things and that's not to say like you have to give up all the fun stuff. You you absolutely enjoy those hot dogs, enjoy that ice cream. Um, but but let's be conscious about the other areas um, and, and the other things that we can do and, and how can we incorporate healthy living as well as screening? Because again, we yeah. know healthy living is part of the equation, but stuff happens and people get cancer and people get diseases and otherwise very healthy people have heart attacks. And so the other side of that, and, and again, part of the way I'd like to see genetics start being incorporated is looking at, are there additional screenings you need? Are there, um, should you be seeing dermatology every six months? You know, if you're someone who has a ton of moles that are constantly changing, do you need to be seen sooner? Or, you know, even if you're very thin and healthy and otherwise uncomplicated, but your dad had a heart attack in his 50s, do you need to see someone to check on your heart, make sure it looks okay? Um, so those are the sort of things that uh, it's a it's a team effort. You know, I think just like any other part of our, our world, um, health is a team effort and, and I have to do my part. I acknowledge that there are some things out of my control, but that's where my team of healthcare professionals come in, where they can help me manage those things that are out of my control. So I know another question viewers will have is what's, what's kind of on the cutting edge of genetics? Um, mm -hmm. What can we do in the future. What's what's kind of exciting, um, mm -hmm. cutting edge that right. you know we we have we got to give some people something kind of yeah. sci-fi to, to ha have fun with. So, so it's funny that you asked that question because I I debated on throwing it into the last answer. Um, there was a, a recent article published about a scientist at Stanford who's trying to figure out a vaccine that actually has some genetic modifications in it to help you live longer and healthier. And basically taking the genetic code of Olympic level athletes and trying to figure out a way to offer um, what I think is like a vaccine 
to modify the DNA of people and to help them have healthier and longer lives. Um, and that seems pretty sci-fi to me. Uh, it's it's really kind of a, an interesting way to use some technologies we have around genetic modification um, for more, I, and I don't know if this is the right word, but more of a commercial benefits, um, more of a benefit that, that affects a broader population versus a very targeted group of individuals who are battling a specific disease. So that seems, that seems pretty sci-fi to me. Okay, so we're going to have to dive into that. I know there'll be interest. <laughs> when we say a vaccine and, you know, our viewers aren't going to know necessarily what the va a vaccine means. So mm -hmm. just to, to go back to the study at Stanford, you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, a scientists are looking at the um, snips of code in someone's genome who is... Mm -hmm an Olympic athlete. So they, right. what, what are these snips that might make them unique? Right. Am I saying that correct? You are. Yeah. And then take those snips and put them into someone like me or you to improve what? To improve overall health and well-being, um, as I understand it, and and keep in mind, I I have barely scratched the surface of this, but I I tried to dig a little bit on it because I just found it really fascinating. Um, but yes, you're exactly right. And and when you say SNPs, just for people who might not know, um, when you think of our DNA and our our genetic code from end to end, really long, multi-million base pairs. Um, and base pairs are basically the connections of your DNA. So if you think to any of those pictures that you've seen of DNA, it's that double helix that looks like a ladder. Um, well, each of those rungs of a ladder is connected by a base pair. And so when we talk about SNPs, what we're talking about are really small sections of base pairs. And most of us look exactly the same in our genetic material. But as evidence just between Gary and I, there are some parts of our DNA that make us either male or female. There are some parts of our DNA that give us blue eyes versus green eyes versus brown, dark hair, light hair, no hair. And so these, these small changes in our DNA can create different outward expressions, or we call those phenotypes. And what I think this, this researcher is trying to do is figure out, are there these little short sections of DNA that are different, that look different between Michael Phelps and me? And can we use those to create some sort of response in my body to help me be healthier, to help me live longer? Um, I, I don't, I don't, think the goal is to make me into the Olympic swimmer that Michael Phelps is, but to take those pieces of his genetic material that have offered him some protection um, from disease or offered him some yep. um, support in staying healthy. Advantage. Exactly. Exactly. And mm -hmm. use those. Um, so it, yep. it's really kind of fascinating. Uh, the other thing that I know my viewers are going to th pique their interest is using a vaccine. So 
we'll go back to this, um, you know, kind of idyllic, I don't want to use the word idyllic because it makes, I don't want people to think we're talking about creating super races or superhumans right. or creating an right. us and them, but really understanding how we can enhance and optimize our health mm -hmm. and well-being, right? right? And as we discover these small differences between us, mm -hmm. you know, for example, with me, I have a family history because I'm my, on my mom's side, there's a, we're Danish, right? Mm -hmm. My kids have actually made fun of me because during the summer, um, when I'm outside, my, um, they can't, they don't know what color my hair really is because I shave my head, but they can see my eyebrows turning blonde, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, where, you, you have blonde hair, dad? And I'm like, well, I, I especially have blonde hair in the, in the summer um, when I'm outside a lot. So that's a genetic component from my Danish background, which includes cholesterol, right? So if I can under, if, if we could figure out how, you know, what it is in that um, genotype in me that creates this high cholesterol phenotype and correct it um, and do that with, you know, several other factors, I could live longer, healthier and optimize, right? right? So it is about wellness. So you mentioned that the Stanford study talked about using a vaccine um, and, and maybe do you feel comfortable kind of talking about how that would be used to to edit or modify our DNA? Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. The way I understand it, um, they use the vaccine and, and which is sort of an interesting term because um, I think vaccine itself, just the word has a lot of emotion and has a lot of <laughs> um, opinion around it. And so it, it was sort of interesting that that was the word that was chosen. Um, I, I think part of the reason that vaccine was chosen as the word is that the, the method and, and the way that this works will be similar. Um, you know, the, the vaccines, any vaccine that you get, the purpose is to induce some sort of immune response at a low level so that your body can then fight a natural infection much more quickly and efficiently because your immune system is really smart, right? It, it's able to detect things. So in some and ways, I think- even corrections, right? And make corrections, yep. yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people fully understand this comp component of our immune system, but that we, it, it can, it, we do have the ability to correct and modify our own DNA through, our, through natural mechanisms. Mm-hmm, yep. Like the and immune system. Exactly. And that's where yeah. a lot of, um, you know, I, I would always sort of think about it with the, the patients I was counseling in, in when I was in the cancer realm. Um, you know, your cells are making mistakes all the time because they're replicating at such high rates and they're they're copying themselves. And it's sort of like a copier. Um, you know, at some point, yeah. the toner starts to get lower and you see that line down the middle of the page. And for the most part, it's fine. You can still read the document. There's no issues. But at some point, that line gets big enough that you start to miss the meaning of what's being said because the That's printer brilliant. has kind of, you know, it, it just made these mistakes over and over. And so, yeah, you're, what's really cool is that your body has the ability to sense when that printer is starting to lose toner 
and they go these immune systems this immune response can go in and actually kill that cell and say thanks you've done your job we'll take it from here and prevent a lot of um, cancers or diseases from happening so that's happening right now as we're talking you know our bodies are fixing things that happen you know so with that stanford study the what what is interesting, you know, when we talk about taking these optimized snippets of, of a genome, how do, how do so someone like me at age 47, you know, I've lived almost, you know, half my life, because I'm assuming I'm going to live to 100. But um, so, so if I, how, the, the question then becomes, how do I get those SNPs into every single cell? Because every cell in my body contains my genetic material. And one of the ways we get CRISPR accomplishes this, but you can't you crisping one cell does not necessarily create that change in all of my cells. If I if I do a CRISPR um, modification in as uh, you know in gametes and a, a sperm and egg that have just right. started to create eggs like for a frog, you can edit those. And then that replication, you know, is is carried on through the entire species. Mm -hmm. But in an adult like myself, I'm already baked, if you will. So yeah. Yeah. a vaccine introduces a, a uh, response in my body that then um, eventually translates that genetic modification to every cell. Right? Am I saying that right? Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When was that study published? I feel like it's recently, it was recently out, um, maybe within the past three weeks. Definitely. So yeah. Let's try to find it and then I'll put it into the okay. um, description below so people okay. can read it on their own. Perfect. So your your expertise, well, your ex, I I agree. Just knowing you as the way that I do, you you do have a broad broad knowledge, and um, and I also know your passion is similar to mine in that we want to see genetics integrated into our health, um, just as much as we've integrated uh, mental health into our into our lexicon, um, wellness in terms of exercising diet, we want to do the same thing with everybody in genetics. And we want to, we want to educate people so they're not afraid um, that, you know, genetics is going to be used in some kind of a dark sci-fi movie, right? Where, the, where a super race is created or your genetics is used against you. All of those things are really just irrational fears what we can do with genetics is truly transformative and it will relieve human suffering. Absolutely. So that leads, oh yeah, yeah. Give me your comments or your thoughts. I'm gonna take a drink of my swig. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's my goal too. And and I think one, one thing that I like to um, try to disconnect whenever I'm talking about genetics, genetic counseling, I like to disconnect the testing piece of things because I think there are ways to incorporate genetics into our healthcare lexicon, as you said, without 
making everyone take a genetic test. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things we can do that are very basic um, and, and family history being a big one, but there are a lot of things we can do to really incorporate these ideas and these thoughts into healthcare that are very affordable and that might not have some of that um, a scary connotation. There's a lot of reasons why people choose or choose not to do genetic testing. And so for, for all the listeners, I want to make sure that when, when I talk about having genetics in every aspect of healthcare, um, I don't mean we're going to require everyone to have a genetic test. And, and I don't mean that we're going to turn into some Gattaca type um, situation where where we use your genetic information to determine what class you're in and what job you get, um, but more of what are the tools that we have that are very low cost but are very effective. And um, obviously, by now you can probably tell family history is a big one. And I would really, really love to explore those ways, especially in an economy where healthcare dollars are becoming. Um, can uh, more scrutinized, and mm -hmm. as we're shifting from fee for service models to fee for value, and really trying to provide holistic care to keep people well versus treating them when they get sick, um, I think it it behooves of the genetics community to think about what makes the most sense from all aspects. So, um, will you? maybe educate the audience a little bit on what um, we mean by family history. I think um, sure. it doesn't, it's sometimes I think people hear family history, at least some of my audience, you know, I have a, an audience that ranges from atheist to, you know, kind of non-denominational to Mormon, you know, and if a Mormon is listening, they are thinking family history means I know who my ancestors were all the way back to the Mayflower or whatever. But will you educate us what you mean by family history in terms mm -hmm. of genetics? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's a really good point that family history means something different to everybody. What I mean from, and maybe I should use the term genetic family history. Um, okay. What I mean by that is asking and knowing how everyone is related in your family cousins, first cousins, second cousins, aunts, uncles, you know, our, our dad and mom, um, are they related at all generations back? Um, are there any children with other partners? Um, so knowing all of the structure of the family history, which I think a lot of your Mormon listeners would be very knowledgeable about, arguably more knowledgeable than most of us, um, because that's just such a phenomenal um, endeavor that I, I think the LDS church has done. What I mean by genetic family history is let's take that a step further. Now you know who your great great grandfather was, and you know who your great aunts and uncles were, but what did they die from? How old were they when they died? What did they have as they lived? Did they have heart disease? Um, did they have diabetes? What about high blood pressure? And I acknowledge that we're in this interesting spot right now where that information is probably only known maybe a generation or two back. Right, um, right. When you start getting into the, you know, the greats or the great greats, you're just not gonna know it. You know, great uncle, uncle Joe, well, he died when he was out plowing the fields. That, that's all we know. 
but even without the the more advanced knowledge you can still know well was great uncle joe 50 or was he 90 because right, that right. makes a difference if he was 50 then i you know i start to have a little bit more question about well what about everybody else um but so his I, brothers when and it sisters comes to the gen- sorry yeah. go ahead yeah exactly brothers and sisters i'm going to ask more questions about living relatives um but it, it's a little bit more of that medical side to the family history as well and and the good news is that there are a lot of tools that you can use to collect this information and it, it doesn't need to be collected all at once um i'll i'll send some of those over gary and you can link them as well yeah, well please do yeah because i I, I know I know I I actually know one of my listeners kind of a super fan who watches every every show he has a father who is very into family history right in fact the super fan I'm talking about is a cousin of mine um, we we both are related through a, a line uh, with the last name of Billingsley and so if you sit down with his dad his dad knows everything about like our background all the way back to right like uh the 1600s it's it's incredible but we know but but when i ask him about well what you know how old was your dad or your grandfather when he died right and the the reaction is well i'm probably going to die young because my my grandfather died young my dad died young but they don't know why they just have assumed they're they're going to die young as well but but part of family history means just kind of tugging on that string and saying why why did they die do you know and what when i when i ever whenever i ask that question there is there is more information than we realize well you know i'll hear the answer i think he died of a heart attack Oh, so his father probably died of a heart attack and you probably are going to die of a heart attack, but it could be genetically related or it could be, you know, probably is. Um, And also a combination of diet and exercise. So then the next question is, let's just say with this listener, with uh, the Billingsley background, we know heart attacks run in the family. You know, the the men die at 70 from a heart attack. And my super fan wants to prevent a that same thing happening with him. He's eating right. He's exercising. What genetic? So he he knows this. What what can he do genetically in terms of testing? Should he consider testing? What kind of testing is out there and available? Great questions. And and I think this comes a little bit back to my uh, aspirational pie in the sky goal that genetics will be part of all healthcare. Because in an ideal world, I think that's the information that then would go to a family medicine practice, um, uh, primary care visit, and you'd be able to discuss, look, this is what's happening in my family. What's my cholesterol level? What's my blood pressure? Has everything been stable? Is everything normal? Um, Are there any medications that I should be taking now, even though I'm pretty healthy to reduce this risk? Um, Are there additional evaluations that should be done so that we can check and make sure the plumbing of my heart looks okay? Um, Those are all things that I, I think can really be managed by your primary care 
um, with the right support and understanding. As far as testing goes, you know, there there's certainly some genetic tests out there, and there's some um, identified and known genetic contributions to um, what we call sudden cardiac arrest. Um, whether or not the family would be an appropriate testing candidate um, is probably a question that would be great for a genetic counselor to sit down. And so if this you know listener and this this super fan could get some more of that information ahead of a genetic counselor appointments, um, he would be the favorite patient of the genetic counselor because he would have all the information okay. coming into the visits. Um, and it would it would just be a a much more tailored discussion at that point. And can a individual make an appointment with a genetic counselor or does that need, how, how do they get access mm -hmm. to genetic counseling? Yeah, so it, it varies, honestly, mostly depending on your insurance, unfortunately. Um, the short answer is that anyone can make an appointment with a genetic counselor, whether or not it will be a covered benefit can vary, um, but there are a lot of genetic counselors um, all over the country. It, there are some with any major any major health system or institution should have genetic counselors, but there are also a lot of companies that now are offering genetic counseling via telehealth and um, very similar to this, you know, you hop on your phone and you're able to meet with a, a genetic counselor at a time that's convenient for you. And a lot of those are, are pretty affordable options and, and they can all guide you as to, are there genetic tests? Are there specific things I should ask my primary care for? So if we take a step back from my utopian world where all primary care is, is able to know this information right off the top, um, genetic counselors will, and especially a, a specialty trained cardio genetic counselor would be able to tell you yeah, you should have your cholesterol done. You should have this evaluation done. You should have a XYZ exam. Um, and here's how often you should have those exams done because they are exceedingly current on the literature and the recommendations from all the societies. So I know that some of my, my viewers will say, can I just pay cash? Is there a cash-based <laughs> system to see a genetic counselor? Or maybe we should create one, yes. Katie. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I, I there are a lot of cash options, um, and there yeah. are companies that specialize in really having discussions with people who say, "I don't really know if there's anything that I should be worried about. I don't have a mom that had ovarian cancer at 30, and you know, my dad, he's 70, and it seems to be fine." but I just wanna learn more. There are genetic counselors who are absolutely willing to meet with those patients. And a lot of the companies that I mentioned, um, and, and Gary, if you want, we could I could send you some of those and you could link them. There are a lot of, of companies that do offer a cash pay option. And it's, it's usually um, pretty affordable. I'm not sure what their costs are today and in June, 2020 or July, 2021, but um, they, they do offer that, absolutely. So, uh, Katie, as we kind of, um, we're, I, there's a, a really meaty part of this conversation that I want to get into. My viewers 
so in my channel, what people do is they, I ask that they give me a topic and then I discuss it everywhere from tinky winky on Teletubbies to astronomy to abortion. So <laughs> as we get into abortion, before we do that and, and really kind of dive into that discussion, is there anything else that you want to say about your career, your family before we move into abortion? You know, I, I think we've covered a lot of it and I would, I, the last thing I will do is I will just encourage all of your listeners to really find ways to feel empowered about your own health and especially about your genetic health and really take the time to assess your genetic family history and don't be shy about mentioning things. If you have questions, um, there are a lot of resources yeah. available. And part of what makes my vision successful is engaged and invested patients and people who want to partner with their providers on these issues. So feel empowered, feel equipped to be able to be that partner, to really stand up for your own healthcare and find ways to live as healthy and as happy as you can. Beautiful, beautiful. There might be some follow-up um, YouTube uh, requests after that, Katie, so be prepared. Is there anything else you want to say about your parents? I always like to make sure we fully honor our yeah. parents and where we came from. Is there anything you want to say that. about them before we move on? I love that. I would just say that I think um, I really had an amazing blend of parents. I had the very strict and by the law and um, black and white dad. And then I had the mom who had more wiggle room, had more um, willingness to acknowledge the gray, um, but both were exceptionally supportive, loving. Um, to this day, they would drop anything. You know, when the world shut down last year and we were trying to work from home, our daycare was closed. Um, both of my parents are retired and without hesitation, they said, we'll bring the kids up for a week, just give you guys a week just to work. Um, and that's, that's just kind of how they are. Every time we come back, they send us home with tons of food. You know, they're, they're always still being parents, regardless of the fact I'm almost 40, have been married for a long time. Um, they were still their kids and, and they still have that parental obligation. Very, very cool. And their names? Mike um, and Anne. Rudolph. Rudolph, yep. So shout out to Mike and Anne Rudolph because we wouldn't have you. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm.